I too want to say thank you for coming today, friends. It's really good to see you. I'm excited for us together as we uh, take a look at part three of a promising year. I'm looking forward to a promising year. I'm sure you are as well. I've enjoyed the parts one and two, and I'm really looking forward to this one. Also, this one is going to be a little bit of a challenge for me because I'm uh, trying to survey some of those very, very key promises that God has made for us uh, from cover to cover in such a way that we see how it relates to us because these promises affect all of history and they affect us as well. The way I want to begin is with a story. There was a cowboy underneath an overpass, and this is not a joke, in Wyoming in 2012, who was later found dead of hypothermia because of that very cold night in December. His name was Timothy, well, let me just look it up, make sure I get it exactly right, Timothy Henry Gray. The oddity of that discovery was, as they looked into things, the coroner reported that in his wallet was an uncashed check for a significant amount, but it was a nine-year-old check. So here he is, homeless and under an overpass, with money in his wallet that's been sitting there for nine years that he could have cashed, and he hasn't cashed it which left a lot of questions. And we won't be able to answer a lot of those questions, but there were some details that after investigation that they discovered they could answer a few of them without knowing what's really going on. As it turned out, uh, Timothy Henry Gray was an heir of magnificent proportion. His portion of the inheritance that he was waiting on, if he knew about it, but yet there's this cashier's check that's kind of there to kind of give hint to it. His share was $19 million. And I wonder what he was thinking. Was he thinking, well, I can live however I want to because that $19 million is coming? Is he thinking, I can't really cash this check. I'm afraid that that's going to uh, somehow compromise the $19 million and this is all I'm going to get. We don't really know. But the thing that's interesting about that story is what he failed to do, we often fail to do. There is a promise that's worth so much in our lives today, not just later, that we fail to cash the check. And if we fail to cash the check in such a way that is consistent in our life, we might find ourselves precisely in the position where we fail on the larger check that's coming. And so I just want us to think about that. What could possibly cause someone to fail to cash a promise? It could be that we don't believe it. It could be that we live as if we don't remember it. It could be that we're struggling with the idea that this is anything we can do right now, and in the waiting, we're really sacrificing the whole thing. And so with that in mind, I want to just say that this whole series is talking about experiencing the promises of God by having faith in the God who makes promises and keeps them, not just for promises that are the big ones that are coming a lot later, but promises that 
can be cashed now. And so to get that idea going, we're going to begin with point number one. Remembering is a prerequisite to persevering faith. Remembering is a prerequisite to persevering faith. So this, this homeless cowboy is somehow forgetting the value of his check and the value of what is coming by the way he's living now. And I want to just jump to a very, very great promise that sets the tone for many, many promises to come. 2,000 years before Jesus, a promise to Abram. I will be calling him Abraham because that's what we know him by after the name change. And I'll be calling Sarai, Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah. But here's what we read in Genesis 12, 1 through 2. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. That's a promise. I will bless you. That's a promise. I will make your name great. That's a promise. And you will be a blessing. That's a promise. All of those statements are promises of God, and they're reiterated throughout Genesis and other places as these promises get more and more detail uh, coming out. So although Abraham was childless when he receives this promise that he's going to have a family, and through his family, the whole world will be blessed. He's childless. Keep this in mind. He's 75, and his wife is 60. And they've been given a promise that they're going to have a family, and this family is going to be a blessing to the world. Abraham believes God and immediately acts accordingly, packs and leaves the place. Part of the promise is they're going to be receiving a land, a promised land. And they leave, and in the leaving, they're living, believing a promise. Remembering is a prerequisite to persevering faith. Point number two, persevering faith will pass the tests of time. Persevering faith will pass the tests of time. Now, waiting is a challenge at any age. But when you've been promised that you're going to have a child and you're 75, (laughs) waiting is a challenge amplified. And I'll just spoil the story. They wait for nine chapters, which turns out to be 25 years. Okay? So the waiting of it is just so difficult. And um, in that challenging wait, um, Abraham and Sarah do a number of things uh, that are questionable. And you'll need to read Genesis to get into the details of that. But let me just uh, point us in the direction by simply asking you to consider what is the opposite of faith? What is the opposite of faith? I think most of us would uh, quickly respond the opposite of faith is doubt. I want to put a curveball at you and I want to say that the opposite of faith is trusting your will rather than God's will. That's the opposite of faith. 
Because faith in God means faith in God's promise, faith in God's will for you, and you trust to the degree that you live according to his will, not your will. Now, in our world, that becomes very, very tough because it is not our world's values. Our world is pumping us with the idea that you must trust your heart. You must trust your will. You must do what you feel you need to do. And you will always filter through your own understanding and come out with your idea of how to make this life work for you. Abraham and Sarah did the same thing. Trying to make the promise happen in a way that God was not making it happen. And so... Not on the screen, I just want to remind us that Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Very tough ideas, but it's through the entire scriptures where we pray, not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus teaches us to pray right at the outset and make the habit pattern of your prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, and be God-centered in our life of faith rather than our understanding-centered, our way of doing things-centered, and we really mess things up that way, as did Abram and Sarai. Mess things up big time. That's messed up the rest of history for all of us, even in a lot of ways, and I think uh, conflict in history as well because they came out with a child that wasn't Sarai's, thinking this was going to be the child of promise. God said it was not. Wrong turns lead to crooked paths instead of straight paths. But the good news is that even while we're faithless, God is faithful. And even while we're faithless, God's promise is still true. And if we will turn to God and look to his promise, he is faithful to forgive us and put us back on the path of promise. But when we're on the path of promise, his will be done. Not my will be done. Waiting is a challenge to everybody's faith, but 25 years, really, Abraham was 100 when finally their child was born. Sarah was 90 when finally God blessed them with a child. And then we discover there is laughter at the thought, and when this child is born, they both decide, you know what's a really good name for our kid? We should name our kid Laughter. And his name was Isaac, which means laughter. Persevering faith will pass the tests of time. Point number B, persevering faith will pass past the tests of difficulties. So we pass chapter 21 of Genesis and we turn to chapter 22 and the tests get harder, not easier. You think after all the celebration, we finally have the child. Woo-hoo, we are good. So exciting. And then God says, I want you to offer up Isaac, who is now a young teenager, as a sacrifice. And we go, what? The first time I read this as a kid, I just thought, no, that can't be. This is horrible. I still think that. Because I'm trusting my own understanding. But we need to read more slowly and then read the rest of the story 
and consider God's angle on this and what's taking place. We read carefully and we read that it was just a test. It's a little bit like our emergency broadcasting system. This is just a test. It's not the reality. It's just a test. And this is what we see taking place. Now, in the middle of this test, there's so much to learn, but I'm going to narrow it down to six significant things. If you're pencil people, this is your time, okay? But if you're not pencil people, just indelibly, you know, let's, let's get it to go here. The first significant thing is that God had a plan, and he doesn't explain his plan in advance. He just simply says, Abraham, I want you to do this. And the scriptures tell us in Genesis 22, this is a test. And the second thing that's really significant is that God stopped Abraham just shy of plunging the knife before the sacrifice of Isaac takes place as a burnt offering. And that's a great thing because this is only a test. The real thing, it's like our broadcasting, if this was a real emergency, da, 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 da. if the real thing is what this picture test is preparing us for, okay? The third significant thing is what was going on through Abraham's mind is significant. Now, there's a lot of hints in Genesis 22 of what he's thinking, um, but we want to look at some explicit, clearly stated statements about what he was thinking, found uh, in Hebrews and in Romans. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, we read, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son. Do you see how that doesn't make sense? The one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. How could offspring be traced through Isaac if you're having me sacrifice Isaac? And yet we read, he considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking, from the dead. So for three days, which I think is significant, he's hiking up the mountain. Three days, uh, he's preparing the fire and the sacrifice uh, and letting Isaac know we're going up a mountain to offer a sacrifice. And he's thinking, I've got to kill my son. He's considering him dead. And God stops him right at the last moment. Now, which leads us to a couple other significant points. Fourth significant point is the location is significant. The location is significant. God told Abraham to take Isaac to Mount Moriah, which later became the hub of Jerusalem, the exact location where the temple is built. Think about that. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system is built on this picture of sacrifice that didn't take place. The fifth significant point is that Isaac's question and Abraham's answer is very significant. As they're climbing up the hill to the location, Mount Moriah, we read in Genesis 22, 7 through 8, and this is not on your screen, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, "Uh, the, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Insightful kid. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Hint into what he's thinking. Not sure how to put it all together, 
but he's got an answer. I don't think he's trying to trick his son with an answer, but he's holding him off. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. This is true. This is just a test. And in that first occasion, on Genesis 22, knife raised, an angel stops Abraham and points him to a rustling caught ram in a thicket, and sure enough, there's the provided lamb for the sacrifice. But that, too, is just a picture of what is to come, the whole temple system of sacrifice, which also is a picture of what is to come because Jesus himself would be crucified on Mount Moriah. And we recall the words of John the Baptist, behold the lamb, pointing to Jesus who takes away the sins of the world. This was just a test, but the reality Emergency response was God's only son, Jesus. And at the same location. The sixth significant thing I want to highlight this morning is that Abraham's faith was significant. We'll just turn to Paul in Romans. Chapter 4, 20 through 25. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him, now, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So this is a picture of the reality of Jesus' sacrifice that was coming 2,000 years later. And now we look back to, and this is a test of your faith. Do you believe it? So, persevering faith will pass the test of time, pass the test of difficulties, and see pass the test of silence. Waiting while God is silent is a repeated pattern throughout the Bible. In Genesis 15, so we're backing up before God says, offer your son. We're backing up before the birth of Isaac. We're backing up to this deep, dark period of doubt that Abraham has before God. I'm an old man. The only heir I have is a slave. What's the, how is this going to happen? And in the middle of the context of reassurance to Abraham that no, it's going to be a, a son from his own body, in the middle of this context, God does something unusual with the grace of telling him, I assure you it's going to happen, comes the truth perhaps for the first time, that he himself will not enter into the promised land to receive it as his kingdom. That that's not going to take place for 400 years. He will live a good old age and die in peace before God, but for 400 years, this promise is not going to be fulfilled to enter into the promised land. And he tells them then, not only is it going to take 400 years, 
but your offspring, the heirs of promise, this huge family clan that's going to be all about your name and this promise is going to be tested severely. They're going to be enslaved. But I see that as a very merciful forewarning because apart from that, would there have been faith remaining? And this pattern of waiting and of delay through tests of difficulty and silence is repeated throughout Scripture. You enter into a period of 400 years of silence right between the covenants, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. There's 400 years where no prophet speaks. And there's all of this same kind of thing where they're under domination by foreign nations and they're, they're, they're separate from their land and they're, they're, they don't seem to have a kingdom and everything's still undone and there's a promised deliverer that's coming and when is this going to happen and just waiting and waiting and waiting. And this pattern is the same for us as well. And so persevering faith will pass the test of time, difficulties, and Silence. Point number three, remembering makes all the difference. Now we need to jump uh, forward from Abraham, way back from Jesus, into Numbers 13. After the 400 years of silence and after deliverance from Egypt, they're wandering in the wilderness and they're about to enter the promised land. And God says, I want you to pick a representative scout from every tribe of this nation. And there are 12 scouts then. Ten of the scouts come back with a bad report. Only two scouts come back with a good report. And what's odd is we ask ourselves, how is it that the ten scouts who have seen with their own eyes the powerful hand of God deliver them from Egypt with all the plagues and the dividing of the sea and destroying Egypt's power and releasing them and bringing them safely to the edges of the promised land, how is it that they forgot to remember God's promise? And what is it that caused only two to remember to remember? God's promise. Now, this is particularly important for us. I think the best way to get it out to you is simply for me to share from my own standpoint. I have a more powerful forgetter than my rememberer. I want to put it this way. On the screen... When I fixate on problems, I forget God's promises, and I begin to think and act more like an atheist than a believer. I hate to admit that, and while I'm in the middle of it, I would never admit it. Oh, I believe, oh, I believe, but how am I acting as I fixate on the problems and think that God's not big enough to handle those problems? I act more like an atheist as I spend time in the world of anxiousness and my own understanding instead of his will, his understanding and confidence and faith and moving forward, I'm fixating on problems. How is it that Joshua and Caleb didn't do that? How is it that they could look at the giants, the fortified cities, the powerful kingdom that's far outnumbers them and had no fear. We read in Joshua, as they're on the outer edges, 
about to enter the promised land, Joshua 1.13, Remember what Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you when he said, The Lord your God will give you rest, and he will give you this land. He's reminded, remember. And, that was later, he's told specifically how to strengthen the rememberer so that your forgetter doesn't take over. I am actively working on this process which Jacob learned. And it's taken me decades to recognize this is not a frivolous process. If you want to change, you need this process too. So we'll back up a few verses for Joshua. Chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So here are the specifics of how you strengthen your rememberer and you weaken your forgetter. Must not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. God sets up a pattern for us. Here's the will. I've got an iPad, but if you have your Bible with pages, between those pages, here's the will. Read it. Don't let it depart from your thinking because only then, as you read it, are you going to cash it. And as you meditate on it, it begins to change your thinking. As you keep it in your mouth and in your mind and in your heart, the world's lies will seem smaller and God's truth will seem larger. God sets up this pattern where, hey, keep this going for you and you'll remember because Jesus himself said, you're going to have time, you're going to have difficulties, and you're going to have seeming silence. I'm going away and it's going to be tough. And right before he goes away, here's what we read from Jesus. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Doesn't this sound just like the statement to Joshua before they entered the promised land? That is our statement before we enter into our promised land. And we are in the delay. And Jesus said there will be delay, there's going to be difficulty, and there's going to be the hardship of seeming silence. But if you'll read and if you'll meditate, I'm not silent You will hear my voice guiding you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You will read. You will meditate. You will memorize. You'll be shaped by that. And you will cash the check of your inheritance. Why? Because you're not a slave. You're not a stranger. You're not a foreigner. If you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a child of God, the heir of all of these promises. And it's fulfilled in Jesus, not by how well you can carry it off. He is faithful even when you're faithless. You turn to him and he puts you on the path of promise, which is promising all the way. Stay on that path and it's not going to be as crooked. Stay on that path and you have no regrets. 
Step off that path and you're going to have regrets. You're going to make life more difficult. It's going to start to mess up your, your rememberer. It gets harder to turn back. Stay turning back anyway. Get back on that path. Remember God's promise. Read the will. Spend the money. This is how you persevere through the tests of time, difficulties, and silence. Hear Jesus' voice. Hear it now. Let's read the highlighted line. Ready? Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is Jesus. He's talking to every one of us. If we'll be his followers, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't be surprised that there's delay. Don't be surprised at the difficulties you're encountering. Don't be surprised when you want answers and you want them now and there's seeming silence. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, my specific challenge to you is, will you open the book every day? Will you decide to put this on your lips every day? Will you decide to make your memories shaped by his words more than by the world? How will you do that today and this week and from this point forward? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the power of remembering, for the power of a promise, for the power of your word. You spoke the world into existence through your word. You saved us by your word, through the word incarnate in flesh, Jesus. You fill us with life, with truth, with the way. Because Jesus, you are the life, you are the truth, you are the way. We turn to you. We thank you for giving us yourself in sacrifice to remove the barrier between us and you. And then to fill us with yourself. We commit to you. We walk with you. We follow you. I'm all yours. I love you. I trust you. I offer you myself my spirit, my soul, my mind, will, and emotions, my body. I'm yours, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next week as we conclude this series.